And so, Lord, we praise you today, and we thank you today for uh, the great truth uh, written in um, the book of Numbers. And I'll read this to you this morning from Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 to 26. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you and the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you and the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. So Father, we thank you today. We worship you today, O God. And we praise you for your your great promises toward us. And Lord, um, as we sing those songs, uh, I'm reminded of those who are who are out there in the the healthcare system, God, those working in in CHSLDs, those working in hospitals. And Lord, we pray together in the name of Jesus for your protection over people. We pray uh, courage into people's hearts, Lord. Um, Father, we pray for those who have been affected in whatever way, uh, those who may have had positive tests who are watching or listening to this at some point, uh, God, those who are struggling financially, those who are just filled with anxiety and filled with discouragement and filled with, uh, just hopelessness or depression. We pray in the name of Jesus for the strength of of the Spirit of God in people's lives and people's homes. Lord, that you would fill people with hope, that you would bless us and keep us and cause your face to shine upon us and give us peace. We pray these things together in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Well, welcome again this morning and uh, great to be with you on Mother's Day. Here we go on Mother's Day. And uh, if you're making this a part of your your morning live, we welcome you. And if you're brand new with us and maybe you, you found us during the week through our daily devotions and uh, and you decided to tune in today, can you do me a really big favor and take your cell phone and text the key phrase reach the one with no spaces? You'll have to turn your autocorrect off for that one. Okay. Reach the one to 514-900-0130. If you do that, and a couple of people have done it so far, you're going to get a nice little gift certificate from me in the email, okay, that you will be able to enjoy. You can also check us out online at citypointchurch.ca slash contact and uh, go on our website. You'll see updates there. We have a special page uh, in view of what's going on in the world today that I try to update from time to time. And uh, all the videos of this content are posted on our website. We also have audio of all of this content on the Podbean and Apple Podcast platforms. You can subscribe and that's the quickest way to get the information. All right. I hope you enjoyed that worship. I did receive a notice from Facebook because the, the recording sounds so much uh, like the recording that they do. So Facebook warned us, but I assure you that Carrie Job and Cody Carnes did give us the approval to do this as, the, as they've done for churches around the world. And we do have the copyright license from CCLI to stream that stuff. Okay, so thank you so much for enjoying that with us. And remember to catch us during the week, Monday to Friday. 
we are doing uh, daily video teachings on the book of Acts for this whole series uh, themed Christ in the crisis. And you are going to be quizzed on this material. I know there's kids who are bored out of their brains and teenagers and young adults and you're just kind of trying to find things to do at home well watch these devotionals because if you do you could win a brand new ipad on may the 31st i'm going to give it away and someone's going to win we're going to play an electronic game we did this at easter and had a huge huge uh, a blast riot fun uh, doing it and uh, so brand new ipad i think it's 10.2 inches retina screen 128 gigs uh, which I will send to whoever the winner is of that quiz. So we're doing every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday on the book of Acts. We do about one chapter a day, and uh, we've done 15 so far. So you can catch those on Facebook Live, or I will post them eventually. Sometimes I'm late on our Facebook and all those uh, audio platforms as well. And you can continue to give to the work of our church on our website if you click the uh, the Give button. You can do it that way through uh, PayPal, which is very secure and very inexpensive. Uh, you can also e-transfer uh, to the address that you will see on that page as well. And many of you are doing that. I thank you so much for your faithfulness. It helps us to support our missionaries and uh, this online platform, which is reaching people who we would never reach otherwise. So thank you so much for your generosity, your faithfulness. We are in this series called Christ in the Crisis. Uh, in the book of Acts in the Bible's New Testament. This is a fantastic book to be reading anytime, but especially when you're dealing with things in your life that are hard and difficult. You know, sometimes we turn to a book like Job in the Old Testament, and that's a good book to read as well. Uh, but people often uh, overlook the book of Acts when they're going through difficult moments. But here you have a snapshot of people in the early community of faith, the early church, and they went through really crisis after crisis after crisis. And we get to observe their lives, see how they lived, see uh, the, the things that they did, the things that they didn't do. And uh, it's, it's a, uh, an often overlooked book. So we started with the crisis of comprehension. God, what are you doing? Jesus, you've just beaten death. Okay, now it's time to change the world. Now it's time to overthrow the Roman tyranny and the uh, the ultimate battle of good and evil is going to be won now, right? Wrong. They had that wrong. as a crisis of comprehension. We talked about the crisis of conversion and how conversion is actually creates a big crisis moment in our lives. It's not necessarily this nice flowery thing. It's a total, total transformation of our lives. We talked about the crisis of miracles and uh, we see so many miracles and signs and wonders and supernatural things in the book of Acts. Uh, but those things have a greater purpose. And those things often uh, uh, build in us a crisis moment of repentance or uh, God is trying to speak to us and get our attention through these things. They're, they're meant to be transformational in our lives, not just little, little Band-Aid solutions for problems, okay? And today we're going to talk about the crisis of exclusivity, the crisis of exclusivity. And this is from um, mostly Acts chapter 4, but we'll jump around a little bit uh, in the New Testament. So uh, hopefully you have your electronic or your paper, paper Bibles open. I got a paper one in front of me this morning, and this is from Acts chapter 4. 
and we had talked about this um, already, uh, and uh, even Monday to Friday, and you can revisit those devotionals if you like. But here you have Peter and John being interrogated before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, the same council that Jesus stood before not too long before the Peter and John did. And they had just performed a miraculous healing on a man, a 40, man in his 40s who was disabled from birth. Everybody saw it. Nobody could dispute it. And the Sanhedrin have to figure out what to do with it. This is primarily composed of people who did not believe in the physical resurrection of the dead, nor did they believe in um, uh, the immortality of the soul. Some of them did. Some of them were Pharisees, but many of them were Sadducees. And this particularly uh, got the Sadducees angry because Peter and John were preaching the resurrection of Jesus from the dead as the reason why this person was physically healed. And this was, in their minds, blasphemy against the law of Moses, the first five books of the Bible. Um, and so it's a big religious debate, and uh, they're in serious, serious trouble. And eventually they will let them go because the miracle was performed in front of so many people that if they persecuted Peter and John too much, it could, cause, it could backfire and cause an uproar. And so they eventually would let them go. But during the whole discourse there and during this interrogation, uh, Peter uh, says these very, very famous words, uh, which are often quoted now in, in church circles. Uh, and, and so they're very, very well known. This is what he says. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. That is the crisis of exclusivity. Salvation is found in no one else. That's an exclusive statement, for there is no other name. That's an exclusive statement under heaven by which we must be saved. This is, a, this is quite a statement. Now, um, we often look at that statement and we interpret it right away uh, in our 21st century context. But before we do that and try to apply it to that context, we have to put it in its own context, okay? Uh, this is said in an entirely different context and world than what we live in today, okay? This is a first century monotheistic Jewish context that this is set in. And again, all these people are Jewish. They have brought Peter and John in to interrogate them because this thing about Jesus and his physical resurrection from the dead and him being the Messiah is causing an absolute uproar. Again, uh, uh, even with the Pharisees, they thought that this was blasphemy, that he would claim to be deity. The Sadducees, the resurrection of the dead, this is blasphemy. So it, no matter how you cut the theological cake and the religious cake back then, Jesus claiming to be God, uh, the apostles claiming him to be God, claiming that he physically rose from the dead, this caused an absolute religious uproar. And this is why you see the persecution take place in the book of Acts. We will, we will talk about that uh, on a future Sunday, the crisis of persecution. But this is in a first century Jewish monotheistic context. So this wasn't 
what we live in today, okay? And on your screen, you'll see it. We live today in a pluralistic 21st century culture and context, okay? And there's, there's, a, there's a big difference. The meaning of the text doesn't change, but the application is even broader. So pluralism is this idea that... Um, there's many, many different kinds of religious views, and you'll see some of the pictures on the screen there of all the different icons of different, some different religions. And pluralism is that all of these religious views are all equal in terms of truth. So Judaism is true, Christianity is true, Islam is true, Buddhism is true, Hinduism is true, Sikhism is true, Zoroastrianism is true, Satanism is true, Russellism or the teachings of the Watchtower, Jehovah's Witnesses are true, Mormonism is true, the Church of Scientology is true. All these things are equal in value and equal in truth. So there are, so another way of saying it is all roads lead to God. Every path, every religion leads to the same God. That is pluralism. It's not just an acknowledgement that there are various different religious views. It's an it's an acknowledgement that all of those views are equal and true. That is religious pluralism. The statement was not made in a religious pluralism uh, context okay but the application the way that we live that out the way we think about this passage is the same today if you want to see a context that's somewhat similar to what we live in you can flip over to acts chapter 17 and there you see the apostle paul again a jewish man who became a follower of jesus will will visit him this week and next week uh, but paul he, he, in Acts chapter 17, is in a kind of a pluralistic context similar to what we live in in the 21st century. He is in the city of Athens there. There is a whole plethora of religious views there. In fact, uh, some of the Athenians would spend all of their day just listening to all these new bizarre views to, de to debate them. And so Paul is in that context, and in that context, he sees all of these idols for all these different gods and goddesses and so forth, and he's bothered by those things. And yet he finds an all that says to an unknown God. And so to the Athenians, he says this, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you, you worship. And this is what I am going to proclaim to you. I did a little typo on the screen there. But this is Paul to essentially a pluralistic audience in Athens in Acts chapter 17. So he's not saying, he's not compromising on the concept. There is still an exclusion in that Jesus is presented as the one way to salvation. Again, from Peter in Acts chapter 4, salvation is found in no one else. Exclusive. Wow. There is no other name. That's exclusive by which, by which we must be saved. So in our context, that becomes very, very offensive. With all of these religions around, how can someone dare to say that one is true? How can someone make the claim that there can be truth, exclusive truth, in matters of spirituality? This is very offensive to us today. 
And when, when it was the first century monotheistic Jewish context, it was offensive to them in one way. And today it's offensive to us in another, but it is offensive. And I, I, I meet many people who would, who, who would love uh, this view of all religions lead to God, all roads lead to God. And, you know, today it's talked about as religion is the cause of all of the problems in the world and all of the wars in the world are the, are, 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 have their source in religion. So we try and say, well, all religions lead to God. Why can't we all coexist and be happy with that reality? But it's not a question of whether or not our motives are in the right place. The question is, does truth exist in matters of religion? Does it exist, yes or no? And that's the question that we have to wrestle with. And right now we are in a time where this word truth is is under a microscope. Because now we're living in a time of pandemic. And so there are a lot of things that are being said in the name of truth that we are now looking at, especially in media, uh, on the internet, various cultural expressions. We see all kinds of things. And this word truth is all of a sudden on the front of people's minds. Let me show you a few pictures here. This is one of the protests in the United States. And uh, this is a protest against the, you know, the lockdown and the quarantine efforts and so on and send people back to work and, and this kind of thing. And you see this one person holding a placard and it says, COVID-19 is a lie. What's the opposite of lie? Well, truth so the 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 protester is disputing this idea and saying this is a lie well is it a lie or isn't it a lie you know next picture you see you see this person holding a placard this is also an american protest you can see the protester the american flag in the background and this person says truth is learned not told do your own research and I think the implication that, that she's trying to make here is that we're being told about this virus, but it's not really true. We should learn. We should do our own research. And this is just some kind of crazy conspiracy of control. I mean, I've heard all kinds of bizarre things from the 5G network and little white vans running around installing 5G towers. And this is the cause of the coronavirus. I mean, there is a there is a little mini documentary that exploded across the Internet called Plandemic. It's now been removed from the major platforms because of the claims made in this by a woman who's a PhD and talking about uh, your masks are going to cause the coronavirus to rise up within you. And this is all some big scam with Dr. Fauci and all of this. I mean, is this true or is this false? So in a pandemic, what is true? What is false? This is coming right to the forefront. Here's one. I think this is in England. Uh, the back of this man's T-shirt, even the bats didn't know the hoax would last this long. Kind of a funny and kind of a bizarre uh, T-shirt. Folks, w w when, did we, when did we stop thinking just because we're living in a time of pandemic? Like, when did we take our brains and suddenly turn the little thinking switch off and say, do not think anymore? We are living in a time where there is a novel 
coronavirus. A corona, we, we've known about coronaviruses since the 1960s. I mean, these things are not new to us, but this particular one is a novel. That's why we call it novel. It means new, new coronavirus. The coronavirus, because we can look at it, and it has these little spikes on it that make it look like a crown. I did a whole sermon on this in the end of our last series, Jesus Said What?, talking about the second coming, a whole science lesson about coronavirus that we can sit and we can look at. Okay, it causes a disease in people. We call it coronavirus disease 19. That's for the year 2019. We can look at it. We can observe it. We can see its RNA under a microscope. We can see what it does to people's bodies and people's lungs. When did we stop thinking about truth just because we're in the time of a pandemic, of a virus. This is not the first time humanity has lived through a worldwide pandemic, and it probably won't be the last either. When did we turn off our brains and stop thinking? Um, somebody in our church sent me a, a video this week, one that I had already seen, and it, it turns my stomach in knots every time I watch this video. Maybe some of you have, have seen it, and I'm not going to play it for you or play the audio for you because it's not my intention to bash uh, another church or another group of Christians, but this video is a major news network goes to a particular church, and again in the U.S., and this church decided to stay open. And uh, in fact, there are many states in the United States where churches are, are exempt uh, under their constitution. Uh, they're exempt, and uh, some states have, have applied this, and they still allow churches to meet in person. And uh, this particular church is meeting in person, a major news network that's kind of anti evangelical in some of their reporting but in any case they went in there and observed this church and asked people questions as they were exiting this church and they had video footage of the people hugging each other and giving each other greetings and all this kind of stuff that was really avoiding what we call physical distancing nowadays and they asked these people questions well why are you doing this and some of the answers that the people gave uh, and it was like they were singing off the same song sheet, and they said, well, I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus protects me from everything. Uh, Psalm 91, go read it, and I'm covered in his blood, and, and they asked them questions, and they kept saying those same kinds of things, and it, it really started to turn my stomach in knots. Let me explain to you why. Because truth exists and truth exists even in a even in a hermeneutic sense even in the way that we interpret the bible truth exists when where did we get the idea that because we're a christian we're somehow magically protected from a, a biological virus the virus could care less what our religious beliefs are. All the virus is looking for is a body to live in so it can survive. And it doesn't matter whether the person uh, uh, believes this or believes that. The virus will continue to live as long as it has a person to live in. Like, where do we get the idea that we're magically protected because we're followers of Jesus? Where did we get the idea that Psalm 91 is a sort of a, a rabbit's foot or something we hang on our on our rear view mirror of our car and we could toss around this term the blood of Jesus as if it magically protects us from the perils of of this world this is this is not this is not fact. This is not the right way of applying Scripture. And these are people who are sincere, very sincere believers. And I've checked out this church. And again, I don't want to bash them. 
don't want to mention uh, the name of the church. But when did we stop thinking during, during this time of crisis? Um, the blood of Jesus, when we look into the scripture, this is meant for the atonement of our sin. We can go to God and obtain mercy and grace in our time of need because of the blood of Jesus, which purifies us from all unrighteousness. We are not to treat this as some irreverent thing and toss around this term arrogantly as if it magically protects us. Psalm 91 is a magnificent psalm and promise and prayer of protection. But we are not to toss that thing around flippantly as if it magically protects us from everything that happens in this world. Uh, on the screen, you'll see a picture of one of the most brilliant and significant uh, Bible teachers and apologists uh, in the last 50 years. And this is Ravi Zacharias and his wife, Margie, uh, as they're celebrating their, I think, their 48th anniversary. And if you know anything about Ravi Zacharias, he has been diagnosed with a rare form of cancer. And the news just came out uh, yesterday all across uh, different different platforms that the doctors have done everything that they can do. And they're basically saying it's only a matter of time. And you see this picture of him with his wife. Uh, let me let me be very, very clear with you. He is not going to say uh, that the blood of Jesus or that Psalm 91 somehow magically protects people from something like cancer. Okay, we are not to toss around these terms this way in the name of truth. And this is a man who has influenced millions and millions of, of Christians in uh, defending Christianity on university campuses all around the world, a fantastic teacher and author and preacher, and his messages will live on and on and on for decades uh, regardless of how much time he has left here. But friends, we have to continue to think, and it may really bother us when we read a statement like Acts chapter 4, verse 12, there's no other name under heaven by which we much must be saved, but that is the claim that is being made. Is there such thing as truth in matters of religion? Let me give you three observations about this. Number one, truth is, by definition, exclusive. As soon as you have truth, you have exclusion, and there's nothing that you can really do about this. You start thinking about life, and you start thinking about this concept of truth, and you're going to realize that truth, by definition, excludes, because anything that is false is excluded from truth. Jesus put it this way when speaking to the apostles before his death, Thomas says to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? Listen to Jesus's answer. I am the way and the truth. As soon as you establish that, immediately you are excluding. I am the way and the truth and the life. And here's the exclusion. No one comes to the Father except exclusive there through me. That that is that is the nature of truth. And when you start thinking about truth, you realize that it automatically starts excluding. A couple of weeks ago, I think it was two weeks ago today, I went and had the test. And I went and had a test for 
you know, to see if I had uh, uh, SARS-CoV-2, right? Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome Coronavirus Number Two, because years ago in 2003 there was a there was what they called SARS. Well, this is SARS-2, if you will. And so I went for the test, and you know, when you go for that test. Let me tell you, they know what they're doing, and you you have the test. Some of you who are watching, you've had the test as well. And when I went for the test, they, they, they treat you in a very, very specific way because they're operating under the assumption that it is true that you have COVID-19. They're operating under that assumption for safety. And so I did the test and, and, and I did not go to work uh, when I started feeling ill and so on because I operated under the assumption that it was true that I had it. And for days I went into self-quarantine and so on and operated under the assumption. I didn't even know if it was true, but I operated under that assumption. And what did that assumption of truth do? It immediately caused me to exclude. So six meter or sorry, two meter distance, six feet between me and my family, you know, be very, very careful. Go and go sleep upstairs. You know, all this kind of stuff created a condition of exclusion. And that was just the assumption of truth because truth by nature, by nature, it excludes. Why is that not true in matters of religion? Okay. And so the, the, the test came back and the test came back negative. Oh, okay. Well, thank God it came back negative. And so far in our church, I know of a few people who've had tests and thankfully they've all come back negative. Um, in any case, um, that, that truth that it, that it was negative also created change and created exclusion. Okay. So now it excludes the reality that I was positive. So now that changes things. And so it, truth by nature automatically excludes. And when you look at this statement of pluralism, all roads lead to God. Um, all religions are of equal value. All religions are true. That in and of itself is an exclusive statement because it excludes the possibility that there could be truth in matters of religion. Every single religion teaches something different, and in many cases, they teach contradictory things. Hinduism is a polytheistic religion, many, many gods. Buddhism is at its heart an atheistic religion. There is no God. Judaism is a monotheistic religion, but it teaches a particular God. Islam is a monotheistic religion, but if you inspect it, it teaches a different God. Christianity is a monotheistic religion, but, the, but, but Christians disagree with Jews about the deity of Jesus and disagree with Muslims about the deity of Jesus. And so you have all these different different contradictory views. Uh, they all teach different things. Even if we were to somehow ignore that and say they're all true, when we say they're all true, we are excluding the possibility that one could be true. So even pluralism is by nature exclusive. Truth excludes. It does it by nature. That is the definition of truth. As soon as you have it, you have falsehood, whether it's hermeneutic falsehood and, you know, people tossing around certain terms in the Bible uh, in a way that they shouldn't, or whether it's falsehood about, well, the coronavirus doesn't exist 
Moses or uh, whether it's Jesus claiming to be the way, the truth and the life. Truth exists and it exists even in matters of religion. Say, I don't like that. That really bothers me. That's true because truth by definition is also offensive. As soon as you have truth, you are going to offend. There is going to be offense created by truth because truth excludes. If you keep journeying through the book of Acts, you see more of uh, the same things start to happen. Uh, we got to Acts chapter 6 in our, in our uh, daily video teachings, and there you see the choosing of these seven men to try and solve a problem of favoritism that existed in the early church. And once they solve that problem, immediately on the heels of that problem, there is a persecution that uh, breaks out in uh, uh, Jerusalem, and you see... Um, yeah, I think it's Jerusalem. Yeah, it is Jerusalem. And uh, you see what happens to, in particular, a man by the name of Stephen. And it's very similar to what, uh, what happened to Jesus um, in the Gospels. And you see that when Stephen gets interrogated, there is offense created by the truth that he is proclaiming. So Acts chapter 6, verses 13 and 14 uh, these are the people who are going to persecute Stephen. They stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law, and they seized Stephen, and they brought him before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, and they produced false witnesses. I mean, they're looking for a reason. They're so offended by what he's saying. And they testify, this fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law. We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. What are they saying? We are offended by this alleged truth that this man is teaching. Truth offends you. You continue the story and you look into Acts chapter 7 after they, uh, they're going to eventually stone this man to death. And you see in Acts chapter 7 and verse 51 as uh, Stephen presents his defense to them, a rather long defense where he's reminding them of all of the Old Testament stories where the prophets were persecuted, where people rebelled against Moses, where Moses predicted that there would be one coming after him. And, and Stephen is claiming that this is referring to Jesus himself. He concludes his little message and he says, you stiff necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears you are just like your fathers you always resist the holy spirit was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute they even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one that's jesus and now you have betrayed and murdered him again out of ignorance and you who have received the law that was put into effect through angels but have not obeyed it what's he saying he's saying there's a truth and that truth is that you are doing the same thing that you have been doing for generations that we have been doing for generations and he's establishing that as truth and what does it do it offends them it offends them to a point where they have him brutally stoned to death he would become the first martyr of the new community of the church truth by definition 
offends us. We would love to be able to say things like, listen, why can't we get all get along? All roads lead to God. We would love to say things like that. It doesn't mean that you can't get along with someone of a different religious view. You certainly can. But you can also say, look, is there truth in matters of religion? And of course you can say that. And you can say so respectfully. And you can say so in a godly fashion. And you can you can do it the way that they did it in the book of Acts. They simply proclaimed Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He has risen from the dead. Salvation is available to mankind. And he he is coming again. They would proclaim that over and over and over again until the day that they died. And all of them that we meet in this book of Acts, all of the apostles would die for that belief. Did it exclude? Yes. Was it offensive? Yes. But they continued to proclaim it and they proclaimed it with respect and they proclaimed it with gentleness, but they paid the price for it. Ultimately, it doesn't mean that it's false. It means that they believed it with all of their hearts and proclaimed it. Truth, by definition, is exclusive. Truth, by definition, is offensive. And truth, ultimately, is transformational. When you have truth, it changes things, and it changes our lives. You're going to meet the Apostle Paul, if you keep reading in the book of Acts, and you see a tremendous transformation that takes place in this man's life. He is the one who oversees the stoning of Stephen. He is a religious man. He is passionately trying to crush the new church because he believes it is uh, blasphemy. He believes that Jesus was an imposter. He believes the new movement is deceiving people by the thousands, and he is determined by God's power to crush it and to stop it in its tracks. And he is tr is transformed, and there's a 180-degree transformation that takes place in this man's life. And you see the people start to talk about it in Acts chapter 9, verses 20 uh, to 22. And um, it says this, At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. The very same thing he was trying to stop, the very same message he was trying to crush, he is now proclaiming it. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Like what in the world happened to this man? He has been transformed 180 degrees. And that's because truth is transformational. I can think of no greater illustration today because it's Mother's Day. And I found this kind of uh, cool image uh, online. Today is Mom's Day. And uh, so I want to acknowledge and, uh, and uh, uh, pay respect uh, to all of the moms who are watching and listening, starting with my own wife, Jan, who is uh, a, a mother to our wonderful daughter, Sarah. And uh, I want to thank her for her relentless love and devotion for now 17 years 
uh, and I uh, just want to thank her publicly online here. You do things that I could never do. And to all the moms and the grandmoms and the great grandmoms that are watching and that are listening, happy Mother's Day to you all. You are burning the candle at both ends right now, especially those of you who have uh, kids or maybe even grandkids at home and they're there all day. You're doing overtime and you never get a break. Uh, those of you who are single moms, you are doing overtime and you're not getting a break. Uh, and I want to mention as well some of the single dads, and you're trying to fulfill that role of a mom at the same time. I mean, moms do things that are impossible. And I want to use Mother's Day as an illustration of truth, because when a woman experiences biological motherhood, and I'll, I'll restrict for our argument's sake, biological motherhood today, okay? When a woman becomes a biological mother, they go through this whole process of truth. Truth excludes, truth offends, and truth transforms. When a woman knows that she is with child, that, my friends, is true. She doesn't say, well, maybe it's not true. Maybe it's a hoax. Maybe I'm not pregnant. Maybe uh, I'm just gaining weight. You know, maybe I should just ignore it. No, when a woman knows that she is pregnant, she knows that it is true. And guess what? Women around the world, since since humanity, the dawn of humanity, women around the world have experienced this truth of biological motherhood. And it's generally the same for every single woman who's had children. Generally the same. Sometimes, uh, you know, the time of, of gestation is a little shorter, sometimes a little longer, sometimes different complications. But in general, there's a universal truth that happens when a woman is expecting. It is true. You can't be, well, uh, you can't deny it and say that it's a hoax. You can't create some alternate reality and say that it's not true. It's either true or it's not true. Truth And by definition, what does it do? It starts to exclude. When a woman becomes pregnant, things immediately, there's an exclusion that starts to take place. I can't do this now. I don't like this food now. Uh, I, I, don't, I can't sleep this way now. My, my schedule is completely changed. And I, I'm not eating certain foods now. Maybe if a woman uh, was a, a smoker, she's going to try to stop smoking. She's going to. There's going to be exclusion of things by virtue of the truth that the woman has become pregnant, and that's just going to happen by default. And that that's an exclusion that happens because of truth. Is it going to be offensive? Yes, it will be. Now, may, I, I hope that if you're a mom today, you're, you're, when you knew that you were expecting, it was a moment of joy and it was a moment of, uh, of, uh, of, of happiness and it was a moment where you were so thankful. But the reality is that for many, many people, it's a moment of shock and people are terrified. And many moms become terrified when they become pregnant. It's a total surprise. It's a total shock. And it can be, at least for a time, totally offensive. It can disrupt a woman's life. 
And now, unfortunately, we live in a time and a culture where people can terminate their own pregnancies and they can do so legally, but that doesn't change the reality that the woman was truly pregnant. And maybe you're on the other side of this camera and you have experienced that and uh, uh, uh my heart goes out to you because what has happened to you has has permanently affected you at the same time, regardless of whatever circumstances you went through when you had that done to you. That has that has permanently changed your life. And for anyone who has that experience, it doesn't negate the truth that the woman was was pregnant, was expecting. There are some of you on the other side of this camera and you have lost a child or maybe you are trying to conceive and and it's not happened for you yet. And today, Mother's Day can be a very, very painful day and a very, very painful moment. I want to acknowledge you as well and and uh, extend compassion to you as well. Uh, I know of one uh, woman, another circumstance, a good circumstance, and she's visited our church a couple of times, friends with a lady in our church, and she's like 38, 39 weeks pregnant right now and if she hasn't given birth already she's going to give birth during the time of COVID-19 she's going to have her baby I mean when a person is expecting when a mom is expecting when a woman is expecting okay I have to be careful what I say these days it's truth and it excludes and it and it offends by nature by nature it does and we need to be honest about that it does do that but ultimately it transforms your life will never be the same regardless regardless and and so many of you you've experienced the joy of carrying that baby to term and you're a mom maybe you're a mom multiple times over and you've experienced that over and over again again there's there's people listening and watching we're all over the spectrum there are people who have lost children there are people who have experienced the pain of of abortion and so on uh there's all kinds of people with all kinds of stories on the other side of this camera but regardless it was transformational and is transformational in your life everything changes when you become a mom and it changes for the rest of your life it's total total transformation that's because truth excludes truth offends and truth ultimately transforms jesus would talk about this uh with a senior man in john chapter 3 and uh, it's a very very famous story and using the illustration of birth uh, jesus talks to a man by the name of nicodemus and he is part of that same jewish ruling council that sanhedrin uh, that we talked about before. And Jesus has a kind of a private conversation with him at night. And he comes to him and he's curious about him because of the miraculous signs that he is doing and that he is performing. And uh, this man doesn't, doesn't really know what to make of Jesus at this point. And so he starts to ask him questions. And... Um, Jesus says to him, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God 
unless he is born again. And so the man answers back and he says, How can a man be born when he is old? Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's, there's that illustration of motherhood, into his mother's womb a second time to be born. And this is what Jesus replies, I tell you the truth, no one, there's exclusion, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you, you must be born again, Nicodemus. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound and you cannot hear where, it's, where it comes from, where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. We must be born spiritually just as we have been born naturally. This is his point. And I wonder if there are those of you who are watching today and and uh, you have understood uh, the message of Christianity maybe in a different way and it is simply this that we all by nature have fallen short of the standard and the moral ethical standard of God and we have this thing on the inside of us it's worse than any virus and it eats our lives from the inside out. It, 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 it's, many words are used in the scripture to, to name it. Transgression, uh, sin is the most popular word. It's this bent that we have to do what is opposite to the moral and ethical standard of God. And it continues to be with us and eat our lives from the inside out and destroys our lives uh, spiritually, emotionally, and ultimately in every way. And it creates this condition of death in us. The wages of sin is death, Paul would write to the Romans. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. That cross that he went on, that cross that there's this big movement to crucify him. The, there were Jewish people involved. There were Romans involved. I mean, in a sense, we were all involved. And he went to that cross to pay the penalty for our sin, that we could have a right relationship with God, that we could be called children of God, and that... that um, uh, breaking of the relationship because of sin could be healed through the cross of Christ and ultimately through his resurrection from the dead. This is what the apostles preached. This is what they put their lives on the line for. And this is what we preach today. So if that's you and you say, I, I do not, I have not heard Christianity this way before. And I know in my heart that I certainly am not a Christian, but I want to be right with God today. I want to become what I have not been before. I want that transformation that the Apostle Paul experienced where there was a 180 degree change and I'm walking one way now and I want to turn the complete opposite way and turn my life over to Christ. I'm going to pray a very, very simple prayer um, on your behalf and you can pray it along with me or something like it. 
uh, if you choose. It doesn't matter that you're in your home right now. I can't see you. All I see is a camera. That doesn't matter. The point is that God sees you and God knows your heart and he knows the authenticity that's happening within you. So I'm going to pray a real simple prayer. God, I just come to you and I don't know if you exist, but God, if you do, and if Jesus is real, then I ask him to come into my life and wash me from the inside out and transform my life and make me into a new person that I would begin a relationship with you today through Jesus who rose from the dead and who is alive. By faith, I call out to you today, God. Amen. You prayed that prayer, and you prayed that prayer in an authentic fashion. I'm telling you that God hears, God answers, and He is with you at this very, very moment. I don't often say this, um, but as I was praying that prayer, I could sense something in my own soul that there are people who are praying this prayer uh, uh, for, for the first time, maybe in a very, very sincere fashion. If that's you, I want you to reach out to me and connect with me uh, online. You can do so. All of our connect information is on our website, on our Facebook page. All right. So I trust that this day has been a blessing to you so far. And again, I want to extend a Mother's Day uh, greeting to all the moms and grandmoms and all that out there. You know who you are. And uh, I pray that the Spirit of the Lord would be your strength today. The Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and give you peace. I look forward to seeing you uh, tomorrow uh, again as we continue our study. I've got a special treat for you this afternoon, moms or anyone else, all right? At about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I'm going to post on our Facebook page a special Mother's Day message from a lady by the name of Joanne Goodwin. She is a powerful and humorous and dynamic communicator in our movement, the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, and she has put together a message uh, and made it available for churches across Canada today, and I'm going to post it online special treats only like 25 minutes long you are going to love her heart uh, again male female doesn't matter kids will love her you're all going to love the message be a special encouragement for you no zoom call today in view of that okay so god bless you everyone have a wonderful wonderful sunday